Hey, what's up, guys? Lucas Burnley here. You are listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. I'm sitting down with my co-host, TJ Schwartz. What's up, TJ? Good afternoon, everybody. Happy to be here. <laughs> so today's episode is kind of like one of those random sodes. Uh, one of the reasons we started this pod was so that we would have time to talk um, and kind of bang ideas back and forth Um kind of get a little philosophical sometimes on it. And TJ and I are both working on some stuff in the shop that I think we need feedback from each other on. So we're going to take you guys along with us. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've been kind of defining a lot of our episodes with like a game plan at the outset with like a, this is the topic, but sometimes we were just talking about like, let's just let her rip. Like we got all the kinds of stuff bouncing around happening in business and life. And I think, I think you and I talk enough to know that we can just, uh, find a way to make anything interesting, <laughs> at least to us, to us so, which yeah. is like the point. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And it is because our, our conversations are pretty meandering, but that's like the beauty I think of, of the way that we're working, right. Is there's like, you can start on a topic kind of end up somewhere a little bit down the road and I don't want to over constrain it. I don't think you do either. seems like yeah. the flexibility is nice. Yeah. Kind so, of on brand. What are you working on? Uh, well, man, I'm doing like, I'm doing thought work a little bit right now. I've got mm-hmm. some project projects, but here's where my head's at. So a couple of weeks ago, I think we, we had kind of talked to, I've like been struggling around scheduling and ties into like the production versus R and D. I came across this article, um, called maker schedule versus manager schedule. Uh, it was originally an essay from like 2009, Um, and it kind of put together like, or put into place a missing piece of what I was looking for, which is for a very long time, uh, I have been trying to schedule all of my time the same way. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I think I have two primary like workflows. Okay. And what this, what this essay did, which I'm just going to drop the guy's name. Um, let's see. Paul Graham is the one who wrote the original essay. Um, and kind of what he, what he posed was there's two thought processes. If you use the maker schedule, it would be someone like Haruki Murakami, right? Who's a writer, wakes up at 4am, starts writing, goes deep, writes for like six hours and then he's done. Okay. Right. But it's a full focus blast of like this, completely immersed creativity. The other example they use is someone like Gary V, right? Um, who, if you're following like crypto stuff, investing, like you would know who he is, but his, his schedule is like a very manager driven schedule, which is broken down into like three minute segments. So the goal there is to be able to make good decisions quickly. Um, it's a lot of involving other people, a lot of small networking, kind of project management details. And so long story long, I had been trying to schedule those like inside of days. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about schedule those as in the maker schedule and the manager schedule. Exactly. And so thinking of thinking that like I could jump on a quick call to discuss like design elements of like the ODC pouch or like a factory collab or like some future project and then go back to being involved in like the actual 
making side, which making could be like deep in CAD, um, trying to figure out fixture, handwork, that kind of stuff. And I had really, really been struggling with it. And so that's what I'm working on. I'm basically trying to figure out at this point kind of an organic way that I can break up my time to give priority to both of those methods of scheduling, which I actually feel share like a very equal value proposition to right. each other, yeah. but are completely different. I You sent me that article a little while back and I read it as well. And man, that thing is eye-opening. You know, it was oftentimes like I'll, I'll read something. And I'm like, oh, that's just like a different way of saying this other thing that I've already heard of. But that right. was fresh. Like when I read that, I was like, dang, I never thought about that. How yeah. basically there's the, the, the brain frequency of like you're answering phone calls, answering emails, ordering material. And it's like individual tasks that are pretty quick and not that hard, but like do require kind of a continuous level of attention. And it's like very, very herky jerky, like going different directions. You're talking to a CPA and then you're looking at my carta and buying how many sheets do I need running the numbers on that, get it ordered. And then that links to some other thing that you need and you take care of that. And then you end up on the, on a phone call with somebody and five hours later, you're like, Oh, okay, cool. I'm going to get back to like, grinding blades right and the opposite of that is like disappear in a realm of discovery of exploration of getting your cnc machine dialed of right whatever that may be like a hyper disciplined like flow state as you've mentioned you know what i mean totally and And they're both like they're like different types of flow state almost because on mm -hmm. one you you realize that you are dealing with situations quickly and efficiently with hopefully creative solutions, mm-hmm. but it doesn't require that like all encompassing yeah. focus. Yeah. And, and there's also the, the management of guilt around that, because if you get off on this like tangent of, let's say you get a hundred tasks done in a morning, yeah, but you feel like you did nothing because you wanted to design a knife today and you only have a few yep. hours left to do it. Yep. And it's like, like you're saying, dedicating time, for the management quote unquote schedule that is like executing on many, many tasks and feeling good about it because you don't feel like you were crowding out space that was pre-scheduled or something that you had preconceived was going to be shop time or whatever it is. Well, and it's, I mean, kind of what you had kind of touched on earlier, which is like a lot of these things are about reframing. That is especially true around time management. And I was looking at this as a time management problem, different Mm -hmm. techniques for like managing all of these different tasks I have. And where this came in and showed that change was like literally just accepting the fact that it is two completely separate like paths for your brain to take. And they, while both beneficial, like they're not complementary. Yeah. Right. So as far as like solution for now, what I'm trying is I'm basically going to try to focus the first two days of the week are going to be maker schedule with the caveat that I realize like there are things that will come in that are urgent essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. And the risk of like emergent or urgent task, a lot of times they take priority over the important thing. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to start the day with that like Murakami, like four to six hours 
of essentially like a gatekeeper. So I'm not scheduling phone calls. I'm not allowing myself to like do a certain type of like, oh man, I forgot to order belts. I'm writing it down and it's getting pushed to management. Mm -hmm. The flex that I'm giving myself on these is that if I do have to do management tasks, I'm doing everything I can to like push them towards the end of the day. Yeah. Do the best you can. Three o'clock. Right. Mm-hmm. That's usually around the time where like, I'm feeling like I need some kind of break or like my, the majority of my work is pretty mm-hmm. complete and I'm allowing Wednesday as a full management day. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's smart. That's we'll see. I've, I've got to, you got to let me know how that goes. Cause I, I've got to formulate something similar to that. One of the, one of the things that crossed my mind is like, if you can make a snap judgment on uh, we're, we're talking, it has to be tasks that aren't like absolutely like dead in the water critical. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's some things where it's like, I got to do it now. But if, right. if it's, if you're looking at something, you're like, it can wait at least a week. If you can maybe make a snap judgment and be like, if it takes less than 15 minutes, then it's a quick task. Yeah. Put it on a given list. That's like the sub 15 minute task list. Yeah. And then do those all at once at one time. Um, I've thought about that. Maybe having like a dedicated list. Cause you have your, you have lit. I love lists, but like if you have one item on the list, that's like design a new knife or build a new fixture. And then one item is like call the city to make sure they got our water bill. You know, right. it's like, well, and some things cascade, right? This is, this is where I ran into problem with a lot of like kind of scheduling and time management techniques. And I've read like, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. I've read getting things done. Like there's all these, a lot of them, regardless of what is said about them are kind of around the management slash uh, corporate process. Like mm-hmm. they're assuming that you're getting emails throughout the day and that yeah. you're sitting at your monitor and the email is the distraction. Right. Which is not always the case, but like prime example, you go, you're like working and you remember, oh man, I, I need to pay that water bill. So you call the water company to pay the bill, but they've like changed their number. And so they reroute you and then you get put on hold. And that 15 minute call is now 45 minutes, right? So that's Mm -hmm. like a cascading effect that can happen. A lot of them, like them being like the time management processes, they use like a two minute rule. So Mm -hmm. it's like, if it's a task that can be done in two minutes, like you just do it. Right. Because then it's done and it's one less thing to like affect your instead of accumulating them instead of accumulating. Um, A lot of this came in. I can't remember if it was last week. Maybe it was the week before I essentially had a week where I'd had a goal in the shop and I never stepped foot in the shop Mm -hmm. because there were a few other like floating projects and conversations and meetings that all expanded and it basically ate my entire week. Yeah. All beneficial, all necessary. But what I realized, I was like, man, that, that like can't happen unrestricted. Yeah. Right. Because it has, has to be, yeah, it has to be controlled. You have to manage it, not it manage you. Right. Well, and that's a crazy thing about like growth or like projects. Like a lot of this stuff that we talk about, right. It's not any one project. It's not any one factory design for a company. It's this cumulative effect. And then a bunch of things will hit at the same time or deadlines or questions. Um, And if you don't have kind of a gatekeeper in place or a thought process, 
some of those things can just continue to scale. And that's the problem with where we're at right now is some of these processes that I've built for efficiency have actually scaled to a point where they like, they require a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. This process that I'm looking at now, I think is, is going to kind of allow me to look at the tasks in a way that allows me to like give them a time frame. Yeah. Like yeah. Wednesday might be all logistics, mm-hmm. but that's going to set me up to take care of those in an efficient way and also be in the right headspace, right? Because like even we've talked about the podcast, I was like, maybe, maybe we move the podcast to like, if we can hit Wednesdays, cause that way I can throw it into this headspace where I'm already rolling with kind of like strategy and, and like, I don't know, just a, di- it's a different way of working than like, Oh cool. I've just been sitting here at my bench for six hours. Let me go get up and get on the phone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it, it's a, it's a massive piece of work to struggle on. I think it's the whole time management thing is like the age old businessman's problem and parent yeah. and person problem in general. Yeah. And one, one thing I really liked, I think you recommended the book, the big leap. I don't remember if we mentioned yeah. this exact quote out of the book, but he enlightened something that I thought was interesting. And we've all talked about in sports and in, you know, economics and everything. It's like you hear about victimhood mentality, right? It's like, if you are the smallest guy on the football field, it's like you, you got to look at yourself like the biggest guy on the football field. Like if you, if you think you're too small, then you are kind of thing. Um, and that's, you hear that everywhere, right? right? Every coach and stuff. And one of the places that I think I've never connected the dots that this, this book kind of illustrated for me is that almost all of us as like business people have victimhood mentality as it pertains to time, yeah. because we all see like, we are, we always put ourselves in a position where we are being dominated by time in our mind. Obviously time is fixed. Like we can't change it, but in the same way that like, you can't make yourself twice as tall if you're on a basketball court, you know what right. I mean? And so it's like, if you look at time as if, it's something that you can control and like it's something that isn't something um, like remove the victimhood lens, I guess, from looking at time and like it gives you the power to make better decisions. And it's something I'm still working on, like actually employing and using, but it, it changed my perspective because you'll hear business people like in general will say like nothing stopped me. It didn't matter that I didn't have enough money. It didn't matter that I didn't have enough this or that. I never made excuses. Like you hear that all the time, but they'll turn around and say, I don't have enough time all the time. And it's like, that should go in the same bucket as all those other things. You know what I mean? Agreed. It is. It's a really strange one. I think in my like mid twenties, I started having this realization that like anytime someone asked me how I was doing, my first response was to say I was busy. Yeah. And I realized at a point I was like, man, if I'm busy, like there was something in me that was railing against that and being like busy doesn't equal successful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and that really started to stick. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Some of this stuff is like this ongoing process of, of just accepting there are like many different components to how we work. And you said, you know, business people, like a lot of makers business is not necessarily our strong suit. Like we didn't come mm-hmm. into it with, you know, a, like a business degree. Yeah. Um, we don't have that background. Some do. Um, and I think a lot of times it shows, Yeah. but for the rest of us, I think we're trying to figure it out. So, right. 
I just, I've been trying to be be disciplined and tell myself I do have enough time because you always tell yourself you don't have enough time. Yeah. So I just, that's the one phrase I, I, like I said, I got out of that book. I don't think he said that specifically, but that's what's worked in my mental dialogue is you do have enough time. You do. Well, I I like that idea that like time isn't found, it's made. Yeah, exactly. Like in a way, like you're not going to find the time to do what you want. You hear people talk about it with like going to the gym. It's like, I, I, I was as busy as everybody else, but I went to the gym every day and I'm in good shape right. late into my life, you know? And it's like same exact mentality is like you took control of the time instead yeah. of making it your enemy, you know? Well, like so. it ties into Parkinson's law a little bit too, which is a job like paraphrase, a job ocu- will occupy the time that you give it. Yeah. Right. We'll say it one more time. A job will occupy the time you give it, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. you are dictating a lot of times, like the value of something. And you're like, oh, I can do this in six hours or I can do it in four hours. Like, obviously there's caveats to that, but it's a rule for a reason. And and not only the time that you give it oftentimes plus 10, 25%. Yeah. So it's like, if you give yourself a month to build your custom house exactly the way you want it, it's going to go right. 25% longer than that. But yeah. if you gave yourself six months, Right. And it went 25% longer. You're doing better. Yeah. But if you think you have a year, it's good. You know what I mean? It's that kind of is stuff. It, it is, man, it is very interesting. Time is a yeah. circle. Yeah. yeah. It's, I don't yeah, know, it's, man. but when you think about know. that, it does, it does start to like time. We, we all establish it as fixed. But right. if you think about it in that regard, it becomes like it starts to feel compressible and expandable. Right. Yeah. And when you start to look at it that way, that's what I mean by you're taking control of it is like, if you feel like you have the strength to compress and expand time, you yeah. can't literally do it, but you, you can gain the power to be more productive. I think, you know, <laughs> agreed. I like, sense. I like the idea of not being a, like a victim to time past. Like at it's most, we are all victims of time and it's most like yeah. brutal basic level. Yeah. But just, yeah, it's, man, it's, I don't know. I've, I've had a, 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 something that I've been thinking a lot about is the, Life is the art of selective denial or the art of selective neglect. I've heard it two ways. And so it's like, I think denying the fact that time controls us is a healthy thing to to select, to deny. You know what I mean? And there's things that you should not be in denial about, but like you have to be in denial about a lot of things to just survive and you have to select the right ones. And I think if more of us selected to be in denial that we don't have enough time, it's well, and here's like, here's thing. like a crazy flip on that, right? That selective denial. I think a lot of times people are denying the things that are important. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty wild when you think about it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's easier almost in a way to like, like you brought up the gym. It's really easy to ignore going to the gym, which mm-hmm. is your own health, which yeah. arguably is like past family, the most important thing that you have. Mm. but you will put something else in its place. So, yeah, I mean, so many like parallel, like feed the right wolf. There's all of these adages that you hear and you're like, they're all basically saying the same thing. Right. Right. All right. That, that was getting pretty heady there. (laughs) So totally. um, Let's, let's shift to like some shoppy stuff. Right. If we can, what, what are you working on? So I've got the new machine running yep. like a top. I've got, I've hit, I've hit the cycle start button 
500 and some odd times already. And that sounds like a lot, but I'm in this really annoying spot of I'm, I, did I mention on the podcast, the spindle clearance issue? I don't, yeah, so I mentioned, you can't use your, you can't use the correct fixture. Yeah. Like the spindle doesn't fixture. reach the fixtures right. that I was going to use for this first project. And I had all the raw material for all these knives and I have an old fixture that I used when I first prototyped it that was in an actual vice and it can reach that. So when you prototype something, you'll just do like soft jaws and you'll machine one op at a time. So you do op one, flip it, op two, then op three and op four. And a fixture in a production environment is like you set up like six or eight knives in there all at once and you get it started and it goes through all these operations. And that's what I had been doing. But now I'm like using a prototype fixture to do op one, uh, you know, through the whole mm. pile of parts and then change it over to op two, do all the op twos, all the op threes, all the op fours. And so my cycle time per button start is like two minutes oftentimes on right. some of these operations. <laughs> and so the total to finish this batch of knives is like 750 cycle starts. So open the door, blow it off, flip apart, shut it, hit start. And that's like it's, laser work. It's rough, man. It's I'm yeah. not loving this. And it's like, I could build a fixture for it, but I, I was thinking about it and it's like this, this knife is probably going to get shelled for a while because I got so much other stuff to do. And I'm like, I don't want to build a fixture just to get through this batch. And it just, that would take an, as much time as me to just as do finishing. it. Just do it. So yeah. I feel like, I feel like if, if Bob T were in your shoes right now, he would build a fixture. Yeah, probably. Because well, it's I'm, like if he's got to do it three times, there's some rad fixture around it. But yeah, right. this is also automation. Uh, yeah. Here's a question. What is how short are you to the table? Like how much how much? Yeah. How much from an, are you missing? So an empty spindle, yep. nothing in it and an empty table with nothing on it. It's a six inch gap. Okay. And so if you have a tool, it's usually about three inches. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty normal for what I'm running. And then I have a fixture plate, which is about an inch. And then like my fixtures maybe lift stuff up another three quarter of an inch on my production fixtures, the way I was doing them. And so that gives me like an inch gap between them. And so it wasn't, it was too much, like I could go buy all new tool holders that are longer reach and I could do all this stuff, but I had all the raw material. The machine hit the ground. The first job was this. So I've just patched it up to do it this route and I am almost done. Yeah. But the the solution is I have a Pearson now. It's a Pearson fixture system, which right. is like four inches tall all by itself. Right. That's the solution. So, it just needs to be set up and fixture blades need to be made. Yeah. So the to, interim, and that's where I was going, was like longer tool holders yeah. would seem like the easiest. Like, had you seen that? How many tools are you using on this job? Uh, on those, it's like seven or eight tools. But Yeah. So it's like not, not inconsequential, but it's like mm-hmm. you rush order, you know, eight. Yeah extended tool couple, holders and it at least would have solved yeah a couple grand yeah. but then you wouldn't have had to build a fixture and you would have yeah. had longer cycle times yeah yeah man so that that, that was i was in that situation where it was like <laughs> okay i either build a new fixture or i order different tooling that i'll may never need again right and i may never need the fixture again or i just make them and so yeah i, I just like i'm just, just gonna start going and so i yeah it's it's been it's like it's not stupidly less productive than doing it the other way it's definitely slower but the the hard part is it ties me up because of those cycle times so i'm in front of the machine flipping parts so the last two weeks has actually been like it's going good the parts are coming off and i'm I'm nearing completion now i'm on the last operation but it's kind of sucked i'm not gonna lie it's it's 
I love going in my shop and working. Like when I'm on Sunday night, when I'm in bed, I'm like stoked for Monday. And the last two weeks actually started to get those first few feelings of like, I don't want to go in there tomorrow. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. And so I'm almost done and I'll have good inventory levels and stuff. And then I can, the next setup is going to be the overlands going onto the new machine, which is going to be palletized. It's going to be efficient. It's going to be the right way to do it. And so I just got to kind of get through the, the dark days of get cutting my teeth doing it this way. You know, you could just like could wear your gym clothes and just use it as interval training. Yeah. Like, all right, do, <laughs> I got 30 second reload 10 push time ups, every flip it. two minute yeah. cycle. I'm going to yeah. do push ups, squats right. and pull ups. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I've been thinking about like two minutes is a tough one because I, lo- I always inspect the part. So I put the new part in before yeah. I inspect the part, I'll start that way it's running. And I sit and I look at it. I hold it up to the light, make sure see what tool life and stuff. And then by the time you, you know, stack it upright and turn it around, like you've only got a minute. And so <laughs> it's but like that it's, minute is the killer, right? Because yeah. if you're, if you're smooth transition, then you're just working. But those little minute gaps are really hard. Yeah. Cause you're like, I don't actually have enough time to do anything. Yeah. And if I walk away yeah. to do something, Starts if I'm beating. going back and forth, <laughs> if I add 40 seconds to every of those 750. Yeah. Just you do the math. Like yeah. if I had, if I had a few minutes to like every third one, because I'm like trying to do something different, right. it's going to erupt into like mm, going from three weeks of machining to like six weeks really fast, yeah. you know? Yeah. You can't even and go so, to the bathroom. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, you're so, making a decision of like a three minute, like how oh, it's going to sit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not my favorite shop days that I've ever had, but I'm getting there and Sometimes making money. Like I mean, it's, it's, it is making me money. So it's like, there's that, but it's, and it's temporary. The fact that it's a one-time job, I think that was always my excuse around, um, fixturing. A lot of times mm-hmm. I was like, if I'm going to do it once, it doesn't warrant building the fixture. I actually have like a little bit of a different take on it now. Um, but sometimes you just do the work. The yeah. work is the work. Yeah. Right? And I, the sad thing is I did build all the fixtures. <laughs> so yeah. I have, I know them. that makes <laughs> it, that's like it won't reach. injury. Yeah. I would have been in there like with Legos. Yeah. Like right. how can I stack yeah. this up? Well, I thought about, I, I could get like a aluminum block to lift yeah. it all up. But again, every route is like a big chunk of money and yeah. Maybe, and time. maybe. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's happening. I'm getting done with that. Uh, I'm like I said, closing that down. But then the other thing I was kind of messing with on the side when I did have, you know, there's some of the ops that are like six minutes, which is Mm -hmm. just enough to actually mill around the shop, get some stuff done. So I've been trying to make it a point to like, okay, I got five minutes again. uh, I'm going to sweep. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Just like, what can I do? And one of the things I did was I got my, uh, my vacuum system finally set up. So I, uh, the Tormach is going to be the uh, G10, phenolic uh micarta Ooh, nice. and kydex mill and so it's going to start running 100 percent dry like i'm gonna i haven't done it yet but i'm gonna drain the coolant and leave it empty nice. and it's it's going to be running and so i i wanted a, a better vacuum system than what i had because i was using my dust collector vacuum which was on the on the sandblast cabinet mm-hmm. but the cfm on that thing is actually quite low um Do you know probably what by what uh it was like 80 or something oh yeah Pro- that's low pro- probably by design because it, you don't want to suck up all your media media. Right. You're just clearing, uh, you're clearing worn media. You're yeah. essentially clearing like silt. So it's probably tuned for that. Yeah. And so it wasn't enough. Like it just couldn't do it. And so I, I got like the biggest shot back that home Depot sells 
and wanted to just start with that. And, it, and then I ran the hose, you know, over the top of the enclosure and filter I filter in it. Uh, yeah. Like the, well, like I threw, I threw a, a big bag filter in it. Yeah. Okay. And, and then I, I run a, um, a 3d printed mount that mounts that hose right near the spindle. And I, you know, had to design it. So it was clear of the tool changer Nice. and that I've got it all set up. I ran like 25 sets of handles and I ordered a whole bunch more handle material. Cause I've got a, now that I've got two machines, I need to get them both running. And so I didn't have like food for the Tormach ready right. to roll. But now that that's set up, I'm going to have, I'm actually having sheets of material water jet, the actual phenolic, like the G10 and Micarta into coupons. And then they're just going to, it's going to start eating that stuff up. And by that time I'll be having the sile eating up Overland blanks on this, you know, steel side. And so they'll be merging together. You know what I mean? Finally, like a, a two punch attack on the Overland, which is the whole goal. So it's pretty looking exciting. forward to it. Do you see yourself having downtime? Like, do you think the machines will sync up pretty well for like the time you're working, the machines are running or is like one or the other going to be sitting idle? Uh, so the Tormach, it's 15 minutes per handle set. Okay. And it's probably going to be 20 minutes per tang. And then it, so it's pretty close, but the, the tang has a bunch of downstream labor that the handles do not. Right. And so I don't know how that'll all work out, but then the Tormach also will jump onto a Kydex after that. Right. So you're doubling and, the jobs kind of. Yeah. So it's, I, the whole juggle of them, but the other thing is like, I don't really care about spindle downtime at all. Totally. The, the reason I got the two spindles isn't to, isn't for that reason. It was just because if I have two machines, the scheduling is way easier, which is right. all that was really killing me. Cause it's like, I needed to get knives to heat treat, but I had customers knives ready, but only needed sheaths. Right. And it was like, I either hold off on these customers knives that need to get sent to heat treat and delay that, or I delay these finished knives that need Kydex sheaths. And it was like, I'd have to make, you know, value judgments like constantly on like, mm -hmm. what's the higher priority. And right. And then now it'll be like, I won't have to make so many value judgments all the totally. time. Um, so that's the whole goal. Where my head was at was thinking of a like pocket product, pocket being something that you can fit in between the other yes. jobs yep. um, yeah. that doesn't require heat treating. And I was mm -hmm. just thinking like, oh man, you have like a composite dedicated machine. And my first thought was like, I don't know why I was like, what's your favorite 22 caliber pistol? Do you have one? Uh, I don't have a 22 caliber pistol, but Ooh, crazy. I, I've got a, I've got a Henry repeater. Yeah. Okay. So I like with pistols, I was thinking like maybe like, like a buck mark or like a Ruger mark two or something. Yeah. But pistol grips was just kind of mm -hmm. like, a, you can do like a 1911 grip or something, something yeah. where you're like, man, cool. I just swapped this fixture in mm -hmm. machines running spindles going and that's a product. Else. Yeah. That's a product that right now, everything you're making is essentially a component of a product or two products. Yep. Yep adding in a product that is a standalone product that basically is completely finished in mm -hmm. your shop. Like, Hey, I put this sheet of G10 down. I run five sets of 1911 grips. They get blasted, whatever tumbled and they go on the website. You're hundred percent. Right. I, that so, once I challenge. figure out what are the gaps, like, okay, okay that machine is idle. Something yeah. could be on it. I yeah. want to start, you know, filling in the voids. Yeah. yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. Especially, I don't know why, like a lot of people have like a little bit of time on like something, their main machine, but mm -hmm. I feel like the fact that you have a G10 specific 
machine kind of is like fun. Like you'd be doing letter openers. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like no something kind of cool. Yeah. And as soon as I made that realization, like having two machines means a wet and a dry machine, just yeah. it, it excited me a lot because the dust from the G10 that, that does, you know, it's vacuuming a lot of it, but some of it yeah. is sticking to the enclosure on the inside. Right. And then when you start your coolant back up, it all runs down. You know what I mean? And so it's like every time you run coolant, you just see all this G10 particulate go into your yeah, coolant tank. And it's like, that's sad. I don't like um, that. Is the top of the Tormach open? So it is slightly open. So I've already okay. been considering. It's like it's it it wraps around the spindle head to where there's like right. a couple inches of gap all the way around it. So I've thought already about like if I got even like shoot, like you could almost call it like a big plastic bag that like right. sealed around that, that gave the head clearance to go up and down, but right. actually or like some kind it. of like rubber wiper or something. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff that I'm, like, I'm thinking yeah. about. I don't know. I was just thinking of like G10 dust in general, like dust mm-hmm. is so terrifying to me. Yeah. Um, being able to have like, okay, so you have your at, at work dust collection. Mm-hmm. Do you in the shop, do you have an air mover? I think I can't remember. So I I've got a dust that. collector that's going to go up on the ceiling okay. any day awesome. now. Um, yep. I, so I've got this, I've got the collector that's going to go above the Tormach. So it'll yep. have in enclosure at work vacuum, right. which is a ton. It's Correct. like 200 CFM. Yep. It pulls and yep. it, it gets everything that's large. And right. then it's going to dust collector above to try to keep it from moving throughout the shop, the like real yep. fine stuff. And yep. then I wear a mask if the machine is running on G10, I just do. Yeah. I just, yeah. I feel like if you can like, just as a gut response, like if you can smell a material yeah. that you're working on, then you, you should have a mask on. Yeah. So I, I no nonsense wear a, wear a nice. mask, like a 3M, you know, like respirator style. Yeah. Uh, just, I actually, they don't bother me. Some people hate wearing those things. I I can, I'll either. forget that it's on. I'll wear it all day and not even remember. Have you, have you seen the GVS masks? Uh, no. They are my favorite because they're they're super like biomech looking. They're very small, yeah. and so the filters like are like looking. small. Yeah, it's super bane. You just like shop bane. Yeah, right. Nice. They're small like filters, it. and you're like. <sighs> but it's cool because you can still wear like a visor. They don't mm. bump into things. They don't bump into your headphones. Um, mm. Cool. Super nice. Yeah. No, I. I it's funny because I'm wearing. I wear a mask. Mm-hmm. I have my hat on, and I'll have my. Ear, like big over ear noise canceling headphones on. And so I look like you can only see my eyes, you know what I mean? And that's, and I'll go out to get the mail and I'll like look at my neighbor and be like, oh, I probably look kind of ridiculous. But no, everyone and, just thinks you're cooking speed. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a meth lab. It's like, it's a meth lab. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and yeah, it's so, but I, I don't mind that. Cause I, I get in a bubble where it's like, I've got my over ears on and it's like, shoot, I don't hear the noises. I don't really care. I don't wear, I'll wear, I wear a mask when I'm running G10. It's fine. But my long-term solution, this is a space thing, but like the first thing I would do in a bigger shop is this is all leading to me keeping the Tormach. Like I'm starting right. to realize that's probably the move right. is it's a G10 machine. And then yeah. they make like uh like Belay. Is it Bailey or Belay? The big industrial manufacturer. Uh, they do the, the grinders. I've always said Bailey. I've, I call it Bly. I don't know. But yeah, I'm not but sure. But Bly or Bailey, they make dust collection systems, the cyclonic yep. ones yep. that are like big boys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like eight feet tall, 55 yep. gallon drum underneath. They're not stupid expensive, like 2,500 bucks. Yep. I would put one of those outside the shop 
and seal up that Tormach somewhat and have like one hose on each side and one at the work and literally just create a vacuum on that thing so strong. It's like 2000 CFM or something that nothing's getting out of it. Like that's- Well, there's a a point too where like, okay, process is like, I've got a dirty room in my shop, right? Like a Mm -hmm. grinding room. Anything that makes dust- in mass goes in that room it's isolated right yeah um argument can be made that like you could have a cnc machine in that type of room if the job was something like that dust related yeah because you don't want to throw your main cnc in that because it's a grinding room Mm -hmm. but you are already essentially using your tormach in a way that is you know uh disruptive to it you know, yeah. or destructive, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Right? No, it's, it, that's it's part abrasive. of it. It's an abrasive process. That's it, it became like kind of a glowing concept of keeping the Tormach for that because mm-hmm. the Tormach, the way the Tormachs are was like, like a lot of things, like a lot of cars, like luxury cars is that like the actual base machine is really cheap. And then mm-hmm. it's all the peripherals that start to add up. Right. And the beauty of that is the peripherals I could always keep because they don't, G10 doesn't affect the enclosure. It doesn't affect the controller and all this stuff. Whereas like the ways of the machine, the iron casting, that's what's going to wear over time on that thing. And G10 is obviously not going to help there. It's going to be rough. And so the actual base machine, like if I bought a new base machine that didn't have anything for features, I could take that whole actual CNC machine out of my Tormach and put a whole new CNC machine in it. Mm-hmm. for a tiny, tiny fraction, like less than what it would cost to right. replace even the ways on another machine. Yeah. So it's like, if it's I consumable. burn it, Yeah, exactly. The the mill itself is replaceable, right. which is insane. And so- well, and you could, that, arguably, you could go with like the lowest price point because you don't need a bunch of tools. Well, I would, I would keep all that other stuff. So like I already have the tool changer. Sure, sure, I, sure. So I would just strip it off to, all the way down to the stand, take the, the old machine oh, off, put a new one on, put yep. the changer and the enclosure back on it. And it's a brand new machine. Right. Um, and, and it, it was a tiny, tiny fraction of any other machine out there. And so it's like, I now have a platform that I can run into the ground and not be too sad about it. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to be precious. And so I think the ideal environment for the future is like, if that machine was just the G10 beast and I did everything I could to prolong its life, everything I could to keep the dust from getting out of it and then have the sile for steel and have a, even if it was like a Shapoko router or something right. for the, for the Kydex. Yeah. That's what I would like to do. Cause Kydex doesn't produce dust at right. all. It's all like chips chips. And yeah. so if, if I just had a, a, a Kydex small, you know, cheap machine, the G10 beast that maybe is in an isolated area, maybe even plastic around the whole thing. Kind of like it's a running shop. all your grips and some, some supplementary product. Yeah, exactly. And then the wet, the wet side is like the style that I keep pristine and don't right. touch it. It's crazy. Cause the, like if you had, if you were in like flex or like warehouse space at a point, I mean, you could literally throw your G10 machine inside of essentially like a tent. Yeah, exactly. And dust, kind of like you have your at port, but then also that like tent has a draw on it. Yep. That yep. seems like super safe. Like a three, kind of like uh, you go into a clean room at like a yeah, microchip like manufacturer. Like a booth almost, but yeah, like you just they have like, like layers little... of yep. dust removal. It's like something yep. like that. No, that's, that's, that's so probably cool. the route I'm going to go. Um, because I like it. I, it occurred to me, I was like, I'm going to, 
if I like the new style, I'm going to sell the Tormach and get a new style. And then I thought about it. I'm like, why would I get another style and only run G10 on it? Because it it doesn't, it doesn't, the style would not do better on G10 than the Tormach because it's all about speed and there's no rapids with my handles because it's all back and forth. Right. And so I, I don't think it'd be even faster. It's like, wow, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, and the reality is for the way that you're going, like, okay, no matter what, like you would sell that, you would get the new machine in your downtime. But at the end of the day, like you actually need, you need more capacity. So it's like you take the money and you just put that into a larger space, whether Mm -hmm. that's leased or purchased. It's like you leasing flex space at a point allows you to purchase flex space faster Mm -hmm. because your your output is going to go up right you're gonna be able to throw another machine another person yeah the big thing right now is like we have a one bathroom house and the idea of the employee it's a little bit of a sticking point yeah because it's like we have kids and stuff and it's like if they if it like i'd love to have an early day type shop like coming in at 7 a.m and it's like it's like a one bathroom house it's like well yeah it doesn't yeah i did that i did that when we were in albuquerque and i had like two part-time employees, but it's like, you have to, you basically have to work with friends or family because yeah. they have to be able to like go in and use your restroom. Like, yeah. Yeah. Get Which I'm out of the fridge. Pr- pretty fine with, but with the small kids, it's like, uh, it's just, it sounds awkward. And so I, yeah, I've thought about is. that. Like one of the advantages, like I said, of the space is just having employees show up and like, whatever you know like is there's no there's no weirdness about you that end up buying a bathroom trailer and sticking it outside i know i've thought <laughs> about i literally crossed my mind like put a porta potty in the back but but yeah. stuff like that or you, you know, just like you just get a you just get like a little airstream and then you have mm. on-premises housing yeah i mean there we go pretty good plan sound like anybody I like you know that. i mean yeah, right, it's good. right 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 no Work that's here, smart. Live here. yeah <laughs> have a little have a little compound yeah a good little compound going mm. yeah yeah you run you run uh 30 more parts and your rent's paid <laughs> yeah. 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 oh i love it man yeah. uh, okay i got one that is this update that i spent last week doing um which was incredibly front loaded by just thinking about it and agonizing over how to do it. But I started running my, uh, rapid air max line. Nice. Um, sticking point was if I should run it at eight and a half feet or run it at full ceiling height mm-hmm. of 10 feet. Like and I ended in the up corner. Uh, I, I ran two inches from the corner. Oh, okay. I didn't like the idea of like actually going to the corner. Yeah. Me neither. But I kept it down two inches. And I think it was the right decision. The reason I went that route is I had to like clear my garage door. So I would have had an eight foot, eight and a half foot section all the way around my shop. And then I would have had to like go up and over a few times. And it just seemed easier, like run it high. Like I'm for my CNC, I'm actually going to go across the ceiling Mm -hmm. and then drop to the mill. And I'm going to be able to run a line straight out into the middle of my shop and drop a line. And it just seemed kind of cleaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I oh, definitely sure. may have thought about it for at least an hour. Yeah, getting yeah. very frustrated with myself. Well, um, no kidding. So, but that yeah, analysis I'm, I'm like, paralysis. Yeah, analysis paralysis. I'm like, all of the main runs are done. I ran out of teeth, so I'm like, man, the the OCD side of me, like, I can't bring myself to bend the rapid air. So you can like bend mm-hmm. it like conduit, but mm-hmm. you get like an eight inch radius. So I use T's and elbows 
at every junction, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. is both time consuming and expensive. Right. But it looks super clean. Yeah. No, I, I want to see that. You'll have to send me pictures. We, yeah. we went, we're circling back to the conversation we had about the <laughs> PEX versus Rapid Air. So yeah, you yeah. win for what you needed. PEX was the amazing solution. Well, it, I will say right now, two things. It worked perfect. Holds air a hundred percent. Okay. Perfectly. That's amazing. The, the only thing I have noticed is the sun goes down in the afternoon when it's really hot and hits the one wall where I yep. have the run. And it was, I, when I installed the clips, cause PEX, the downside versus the rapid air is it expands and contracts a little bit. Whereas you have aluminum, which is a little more rigid, doesn't yep. do quite so much wiggling around yep. on you, but that hot wall from the sun hitting it is, was heating it up. And I had clips on both ends that were restricting it from expanding. And so in, in the middle, it was like doing a little wiggle because it had nowhere to go. And so I, I took one clip off on one side so that it's still clipped up, but it has the right. ability to like slip, like, oh. and then that corrected it. And so it's actually staying pretty straight for the length. Nice. It's not it's dead nuts. Like the rapid right. air would have been yeah, a short straight. run. doesn't matter. But, but it, I did notice that like if it was a hundred, cause it's all about length because if you run 50 feet, then right. that expansion is is cumulative. You know what I mean? Right. So it, it's it's gonna if you have fifty feet in a straight line, the odds of it right. staying straight is like zero percent. Right. Yeah. And for reference, like the longest straight run of rapid air that I have is I think eighteen feet. But you put mm-hmm. you put a clip or a support every five feet. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. Yeah, I have one every other stud. Yeah. And it, if it gets hot, it'll bow in between. It'll, it'll still bow. So. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, this is like final set. It's funny, man. Like shop moves. We've been here for two years. Okay. And like, Mm -hmm. luckily before we left the Cape, I made a ton of parts. You know, I had heat treated surface ground folder blades and like fixed blade parts. I just got my surface grinder running and I'm just now getting proper air. What was it you did to it? It had a, did you rewire it or something? So yeah, I've got a, it's a Jones and Shipman 540, which is like a beautiful surface grinder but it was three phase Mm. um basically pulled out all the wiring and set it up on a 220 uh vfd and then individually wired the hydraulics for 110 and Mm. the coolant tank for 110 Mm. Uh, the last Mm. thing i have to do is plumb the coolant tank but like everything is functioning cool um yeah, and kind of kind of ridiculous. In retrospect, I think I would have actually been better served just running a phase converter and leaving everything else alone. But in the back of my head, I was like, man, it would be cool to be able to run a belt on this thing. Mm-hmm. And if I run a belt, it's cool to be able to have variable speed. Mm-hmm. Now that I have it all set up, I just realized like, I like running it with a rock and coolant. Yeah. So kind of like, <laughs> well, yeah. that was a lot of work for- how she how she goes. Yeah, you, you, you know, could just sell it learn. to me. Yeah, oh, that's a good one. It's <laughs> a good one. I'm I'm gonna need one of those one of these days. Yeah, bigger yeah. shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's first? So yeah, man. That's uh, oh the other thing that I've got going on in shop is uh, I told you I was kind of like I was feeling a little bit listless because like a lot of the jobs that I've been doing they're longer term. Um, I haven't been doing as many shows and my output, like I just haven't had like a a specific need for a certain type of output. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to try to commit to just doing, making sure that I do five folders every month. Nice. Um, which to like some of the guys listening probably does not sound like a lot at all. Um, but that's a, that's a good goal. 
yeah, theory is that it gives me, it gives me a, a reason like to build five folders a month. I have to have every, all of my equipment working and functioning, yeah. but it also gives me the space to do the improvements that I want to do. And like between five knives, I can like make a design update. I can improve fixturing. Um, so it's kind of, it's a minimum output type of deal, mm-hmm. but I think it'll have like a pretty solid effect, um, yeah. on like shop well-being. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, man. I'm, I'm starting to toy with the idea of the folder world getting, getting into that mess of it. Just do it. I know. I know. I need to, it's you need uh, to just do it. I know. Game I gotta, changer. Got to pull the trigger. You're fine. What you're doing makes perfect sense right now. And you're like, you're dialing in processes that are going to make folders that much easier. Right. But got to do it. It's folders, man. Yep. The, yep. The, I, I get it all the time. Like they see the fixed blade. Do you make a folder? Yeah. You know what I mean? So someday. But you know what? I, I really like, I still love fixed blades. Like I think at heart, I'm a fixed blade kind of maker. It's what I think mm-hmm. of myself as, even though mm-hmm. the majority of what I do is folders. But I think that like, I don't know if I, we've talked about this on the pod, but when I started making folders, I had to go into it so hard like to understand it, like I'm a slow learner and I'd been making fixed blades for like probably seven years by the time I made my first folder. Mm-hmm. I think that I probably lost 50% of my customer base, but I never noticed it because I gained so many more yeah. customers because of the folders. I believe that. But like I, I, it was years and then I was like, man, there's a bunch of names that I haven't seen order a knife or like be Mm. around. And, and looking back on it, I fully think it was because there's a lot of people that are super passionate about fixed fixed blades, not interested in folders. And so I think that what you're doing actually is, is perfect because you're developing a lot of the brand around this like functionality of a fixed blade. And I think that you don't need to like, you know, I think if you start making folders, your fixed blades are still going to like, yeah, they're still going to be there, you know, which, yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm I'm working on it though. Really though, like my I'm rounding the corner on the folder thing of like this is gonna happen, you know. So yeah, it's it's timing. It's because I'm working on another fixed blade in addition right. to the Overland, and that is gonna precede the folder. I I was deciding between going folder next or another fixed blade. It is gonna be one more fixed blade at least before I go to folders. And I'm just I'm I already have a fixed blade that's pretty refined and pretty close, and I'm excited for that knife, and so it's coming. Here's a strategy question for you. Are you active? Like when you are thinking about designs right now for things that you're going to produce, are you thinking about building out a line or is it like individual products that you want to make? Like fam, like building a family of knives. Yeah. Like building, like if you like, if you had a catalog and you're like, Oh, let me go to Schwartz knives and like, look and see what they have. And you're like, Oh, okay. There's his, his Overland, which is like field, like food prep knife. Mm-hmm. Here's whatever the next knife is. Oh, here's like, if you're doing outdoors, like, Oh, there's the burden trout. Like there's yeah. the Skinner. Do you think yeah. that way? Or is it? I am focusing pretty heavily in my custom stuff and the stuff I'm making out of my shop on outdoors oriented mm-hmm. in general across the board, but different so, tasks, different tasks, outdoors? different, different tasks. tasks. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, 
I'm I'm sticking pretty heavily to the high high functionality outdoors direction. Yeah. Even when I go to folder, that's kind of where my head's going to be at because yeah. uh, it just is what excites me right now. Um, yeah. It's just what I'm into, and so I, I like to expand beyond that. So like it, you talk about EDC, like it's a different kind of scene than like the outdoorsman's scene right. in some overlap, but. It, I've designed knives for CRKT and other brands where it's like, I didn't really picture backpacking with that knife or like gutting right. an elk, but I really think it's sweet. I like this. It's a good EDC. It's like, it's, it's a good conversation piece. It's got, you know, artistic nature to it and stuff. Yeah. And I appreciate that. But for the stuff that I want to make myself, yeah. I just think outdoorsman. That's just where my head would goes. Would you, would you make a parallel when you think about like outdoorsman's knives and you use the term EDC? Mm-hmm. Do you think that EDC is a function of a more urban customer wanting to carry a tool akin to what you would think of as an outdoorsman's tool? Uh, I think so. I think there's a obviously huge overlaps between people that do both. You know what I mean? Sure. Like I would even but, be in that category. Sure. But, but like there are more people living in cities than living when I, in the country. Yeah. When I design an EDC knife, I think urban. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the differentiation, right? So it's like, it's tools for essentially a different purpose. Just like, just like any, like if you look at clothing, right, Mm -hmm. there's clothing that is purely function driven and there's, there's everything in between, between like, oh, it's like high fashion and then there's work clothes and there's everything in between. Like, yeah, I'm wearing Fjall Raven pants right now. I am not in fact mountaineering. Yeah. Some people mix it up and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. That's, it's just, it's where I'm at right now. I think I want to have some EDC stuff, uh, come eventually, you know, but right now, like I, I just want to have partly because I want to carry it. I want to own it because if I had a fleet of knives that fit my needs in the outdoors and I rounded out like, okay, I got the folder, I got the camp kitchen knife, I got the bushcraft, whatever it is, the burden trout, then I can move on to like, oh, this is uh, this is more of an EDC thing, but it, it just feels secondary to me as far as focus. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the kind of beautiful things about design in general is that you're if you're designing for yourself, it's almost like automatically an authentic product. Right. You're not like reaching. You're not like, oh, I see this and that the, this work these people are doing is cool. I don't really understand it, but I'm going to mimic it. Right. That's very different than being like, oh, I would like to have this tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do pride myself in trying to be a little bit of a jack of all trades when I'm talking sure. about like CRKT knife design, because yep. like we're talking mass market and it's like different I like customer. designing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's there's different pools of customers. And right. I want CRKT to do well. I want to do well with those knives. Like I want to spread out wide in that regard. Right. But when I'm I can I can't make as many models as CRKT can, and so if I'm only going to be limited to a, a narrow view, it's going to just be the stuff that I like the most. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just going to come yeah. from the heart. That was you know? like originally <laughs> like first I don't know first decade or so. My focus was on like a lot of what I guess what would be considered tacticals, right? Like I right. think more of like a lot of it they were like not aggressive looking, but aggressive in function. But when I look at my life around that time, I was doing like a ton of combatives training. I was super interested in it. And so like a lot of that just bled over into my design work. Cause it was mm-hmm. like the Quiken is a great example. Like yeah. I wanted a knife that I could carry inside the waistband that was easy to access. Yeah. And the Quiken was like my solution for that. And then it turned into a folder and then it like 
became the Quaken mm-hmm. kind of. I've never but. designed a, a tactical knife, not even one. Isn't that interesting? In 10 like, years. It's kind of fun because I think a lot of it you have to just if you allow yourself to go to the head space of use, like everyday carry to me is is a funny comic because you're just like, oh, essentially, it's just like things that you would use throughout the day, mm-hmm. right? Well, a soldier's going to use something different than a farmer, yeah. you know, for the most part. There's some yeah. crossover. Um, yeah. That's why so, I think like a lot of people don't necessarily understand like the interest in like pocket tools or the demand. Um, when you think about it, like a small pocket pry bar is actually super useful. It's not replacing mm-hmm. the pry bar that you have in your truck. Like that's not what right. it's about. Well, one thing I like about know? the pry bar mentality is it permits you to carry a high end knife in that yeah. if you're going to, if you know, there's a good chance you're going to like pick away at something or like try to yeah. kind of like pull a nail or like a staple out of a poster or something. If you know, you might be doing that you probably want to carry a cheap knife because you're like, yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of rough on my stuff. Like, and right. let's say you got a thousand dollar custom in the safe. It's like, I don't like carrying it because sometimes I do rough stuff with my knives. But if you Shout have the pry bar, brother-in-laws and contractors, right? There. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. But you got the pry bar and it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to carry my fancy custom one off piece and I'm going to respect yeah. it. And I'm going to cut the things that are deserved of that knife. And then when I come across a rusty nail, it's going to get the pry bar. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, how else do you scratch your lotto tickets? Like, what do you use your nail? Ugh, I know, gross. right? Plebeian. <laughs> yeah. Right. Man. That's okay. A, so you point. here, I think like a couple more questions on my side, man, because we haven't okay. talked about it too much. So you got the sile. Yes, You're sir. using the sile. Overall, like, cause I'm still like, I'm still like there, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm ready for a new machine ish in the next mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. and I'm watching you and your style. Like, what are your, are you like super happy with it so far? Yep. Yep. So steep, okay. steep learning curve on the control, but that yeah. was going to be the case for me on any control because Tormach is so unique. It's not very like good a, to transfer like forge. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like going in from an iPhone to like, Linux, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's not the same thing. And so, yeah, there was, I had to make a bunch of phone calls, but it wasn't because of problems. It was because of user error. Who are you you calling? So I, I got a hold of, there's YouTubers that have been posting with their styles and all of them, I was able to call. Like they were able to, they were small enough YouTubers and they weren't in so high demand that they weren't like answering emails. Right. And so I could just like call and talk and they, all of them were just like, dude, call me anytime. And it, so I've been calling a couple of YouTubers that have the machine. I've called a couple of people at Sile America, um, different, different people involved there. Um, everyone's super helpful. Like I, I talked to a guy named Paul who's, he's like, yeah, man, call me any day of the week, anytime. He's like, if I don't answer, it's probably cause I'm in my pool. And he's like literally <laughs> anytime. And yeah. And it was pretty funny. Um, and so I, I, yeah, just getting simple questions answered. You know, there's one time where it wouldn't change tools. It would not, nothing would happen no matter what I did. And it was because guess what? I had the feed rate knob at 0%. And so without the feed rate also controls the rate of the tool change. And if it's at zero, it's not doing a tool change. And so I like, I'm talking on like the phone with a couple of people and they're, they're all starting to talk like, man, maybe we'll have to get put you through to an engineer and stuff. And then I look down, I'm like, what if I turn that up? Suddenly it changes the tool. I'm like, oh, never mind. But they did Wild. say before I discovered that they were like, we will get you on a Zoom call with a SILE engineer 
if this doesn't get fixed. It's pretty, so it's pretty impressive so yeah. far. Like I'm in the Facebook group and I'm watching it and like, I told you I've seen like a few little problems and stuff arise, mm-hmm. but like the way that they're handling things is pretty impressive. Yeah. I also really love, like I've always said the knife community is super open with information. And I think that a lot of that is due to so many of us have just spent way too much time, like problem mm-hmm. solving ourselves in a vacuum mm-hmm. that when you have the chance to like help somebody or they have the chance to like help you with something they figured out, they actually share. Yeah. Right. Yeah seems like you're getting the same thing with style, which yeah. is like, Hey, we like, we bought into this machine. We all want to see it do well. We've solved this problem and people mm-hmm. are like eager to help. And that yeah. is, that's rad. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really fun. It's, it, I haven't had any issues with it. I, I'll take that back. There was one coolant leak in the coolant pan when I got it okay. and it, it was a, a drip leak coming out of a seam. The coolant pan is the entire footprint of the machine, but it's like L shaped and rolls up yeah. next to it. And it probably articulates on the pallet. And I think a, a weld might've developed like a small, tiny fissure and sure. it was like a drip leak. And so and I JB welded it across, you know, the globe. Across, yeah. It went through like, the Panama canal literally. Like, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I was, I wasn't that upset about it, but I posted it a YouTube video where I was kind of giving my initial impressions and talking about that leak. And the CEO of Sile commented on it and was talking, to, he commented and tagged the lead engineer for Sile. And was like, hey, what what's the deal here? Like, I thought we had this fixed or something to that effect. Right. And it was like the CEO watched my YouTube video about the machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's cool and, too. It's transparent. Like, yeah. Again, not a lot of gatekeepers because if the CEO is commenting, that means you can message him. Yep. Yep. I'm I, I think I'm friends with like a handful of their engineers on Facebook because yeah, they're all amazing. they're all on there and they, you know, all their profile pictures are like them in front of a style machine. And it's like you go on Facebook and it's like you message them and they're like, Hey, what's up? You know? And it's, it, it's very it, organic feeling. It's dip- It's pretty cool too. I think it ties into something else. Like, so we've talked about fusion 360 a lot. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of fusion 360 is one of the things is the community that's around it. Mm-hmm. But essentially it's, I think it was designed for like makers closer to our scale. Obviously yeah. it has potential past that, but a lot of the bigger companies, they're so used to dealing with, large companies mm-hmm. like whether you know like like Kaiser is a great example like they're awesome compressors but like their strong suit is not like dealing with one man shops it's like yeah putting in yeah. air management systems at like intel or something right yeah. it's a different um style seems like they're kind of in that same thing where it's like look i'm not i'm not an engineer i'm not like there's a lot of things that i don't know Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not an electrician. I don't have like a facilities manager. Like I'm going to be putting the thing in. It's cool to see a company that seems like they're kind of meeting makers at that level. Mm -hmm. It's a a nice place to get in kind of on the ground floor. Like, so that's been fun to watch. Yeah. No, I I can't say anything bad about it yet. I mean, it's same as true with Tormach, like from that process point. No, Tormach and Sile, I get a similar vibe. You know what I mean? As far as like people commenting, like you go on Facebook on the Tormach group you'll get comments from Tormach employees and stuff. It's, it's a similar vibe. It's just Tormach has a way bigger audience right now in the U S because they're actually a large company. They make a lot of machines and Sierra uh, Sile's large, but they're not that present in the U S. So it's like, it's, it's like a young Tormach kind of feel to it, but a totally different machine in a lot of ways. So it's, but it's, 
it's it's been good it's like it's making me money it's working it's i haven't been able to use it to it's like stretch its legs because i'm just making these little one-off like one single operation but like i said i mean 40 hours of spindle turn time and 600 cycle starts and nothing not a not a hair of a problem no yeah no blades machined on it which is really that's like the bread and butter for this machine yeah exactly and that's coming that'll be very soon um is actually machining the bevels which is the benefit of the speed of this machine so yeah i can't say anything negative about it i mean it hasn't it's not like the speed obviously blew me away but i knew that was going to be the case everything else has just been basically what i expected you know what i mean um and so we'll just see like if it is reliable um over the next three years checks all the boxes everything i wanted you know what i mean yeah oh i will say it knocked my socks off blew me away the repeatability of the accuracy in like the location of the work offset so Mm -hmm. if you're not a machinist you put a part in there the machine needs to know where the part is because it's a giant work envelope and it's like you just put a part in there it doesn't know where it is so you have to tell it this is the corner of the part usually like this is x0 y0 z0 it's called a work offset and so you put a new part in and you put it in the exact same spot and it keeps making the part now if you run the machine and then you turn it off turn it on run it for a week and then you go and sometimes that'll start to wander where the vice is in the same spot but the machine heats and cools and heats and cools and does all the machining operations and it eventually you like if you have a chamfer that's tiny it'll start to get deeper on one side and shallower on the other because it's moving now to check it you can reprobe that corner and after a week of machining i reprobed the same corner on the vice itself and it was it didn't change enough to be readable on the display and it goes all the way to the ten thousandths of an inch so within one ten thousandths of an inch over a week of machining it did not move and that's below your mind accurate. And it's, that's I impressive. believe, because of the mineral casting frame, because epoxy granite does not expand and contract like right. iron does. Um, so like a Haas, it's not knocking Haas, just an iron-framed machine, like right. the Tormach or anything. It, I mean, you, you can see multiple thousandths of an inch of wander even over the course of a day. So it's like it could be a four thou off of what it was this morning because of heat so for it to be a tenth that's a 40th of four thou so it it was within one 40th of what i've seen happen on haas machines and i'm again i'm not knocking haas it's not them it's iron it's it's the if you make a machine out of iron it's going to do that and so it's the accuracy is off the charts it's i'm absolutely i was i thought it would be more accurate than an iron machine but now I know it is a lot more accurate than an iron machine. We, we might've touched on this. Is it, so with the styles, is it almost like more open source than, than like something like a Haas? Like if you look at Haas as like an iPhone as a style Android, like, are you uh, able yeah. to buy like replacement parts for your style that aren't like style specific parts? Probably. Yeah. I haven't even tried. To I would do be that, very like curious to the know. spindle says the brand of the spindle on the nose and it's not Mm. style so like they i don't know if you were to call that manufacturer and just be like hey i want your i want a new spindle how is how is the manual that comes with it um does it come with a manual it comes with a manual uh yeah that's probably the weakest point is documentation Mm -hmm. i mean there's there's manuals actually 
I'll take that back. Online, they have an, a help portal that has a ton of PDFs that are actually okay. super helpful, but they don't print them out for you. They don't print them. Okay. So that's that's the thing. Yeah. Okay. I almost I almost paid a print shop to print all those pages. It'd be like hundreds of pages, <sighs> so I that I could would. so that I could put them in a three ring binder. Yeah, I'm probably I still going to do that. Yeah. But it's a there's idea. a lot on there. I just it's not super easy to look at on an internet page, so I just haven't used it a lot. I was curious. I was curious, like Asian company. I didn't know if they have like a really nicely translated English manual. Well, try going on their website and reading through those manuals. Okay. I, I think they're pretty good. Um, okay. They're not, they don't seem like they seem hundred percent English. Yeah. Nice. You know? Okay. Uh, cool. But the, but I, one thing I noticed is there's nothing on the machine that isn't English. So all, there's stickers and there's right. wording on like solenoids and stuff. And it's all in English. You know what I mean? So it's impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at like the, uh, the only thing that was weird is like the air pressures in bar, oh, you know right. what I mean? And stuff yeah. like that, but it's just cause it's metric, but I mean, everything, the gauges, you know, all the things that are components, like it's all, it's all there in English. So it doesn't even, you wouldn't even look at it and be able to find any indication that it was made in China. You know I mean? machine, yeah. As far as I could tell. Huh. All right, man. It's pretty cool. Well, that seems like a, that seems like kind of what we got going on the shop, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. One last thing. One <laughs> right last on thing me. for the next week. Yeah. What is the big problem that you want to tackle? And then next week we'll do a little accountability and I'll call you out and see if you tackled it. So it has well, to be tackleable in one week. Uh, let's see, man. Well, okay. So one, uh, non-shop related, I'm going to try to meditate 20 minutes a day. Okay. Minimum okay. once a day. So that's going to be checking with me next week. Um, man, shop goal. See, this is the thing. It's like, what can I, what am I going to do in the shop in the next week? I don't, I I don't have it. You're going to finish. I'm going to, I'm going to try to finish the rapid air, but caveat being I'm waiting for more parts. So as long as the parts show up, I should be able to finish it. So let's throw that one as the problem that I'm trying to solve. Okay. Okay. Rapid air is a good idea. All right. Well, mine is, I'm going to finish these scalpels. <laughs> the op four is going to get done. done this week. So next week, uh, maybe I'll crack a beer on the podcast and uh, we can cheers to that. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know what? Uh, this is total, total side line, but um, I found these non-alcoholic IPAs, hazy IPAs mm-hmm. that are delightful. No kidding. Like an O'Doul's kind of thing. Yeah, but not. It's a micro brew. Mm. Like, so like here, um, like crux is making a, like a few different non-alcoholic. It's just nice. Cause like sometimes middle of the day, like I want a beer. Don't want to yeah. like, I'm pretty like, I, I don't know, like my tolerance for anything is like pretty, pretty minimal. And so like, if mm-hmm. I have a beer, I usually get like tired, you yeah. know, so I don't yeah. want to do it, but I'm like, that's, that's sweet. I've been drinking them at lunch and stuff. And I'm like, this is yeah. delicious. Yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you a link to I'm, it. I'm going to look into that. All right. So what does that mean? Done. That means off the machine on the heat treat. On to heat treat. On to heat treat. Okay. And sheaths are in house. So are you going to be moving on to sheaths? Uh, how's that work? They're leather sheaths and they're all done. Leather sheath done. Oh, that feels nice. I bet. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. All right. So that's for next week. Airline run and scalpels done. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks for Talk listening, guys. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. Leave us a review. <laughs>